Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back with another episode of Brewcast. Coming off a victory, these episodes always a little bit more fun. Luke Yardy here, joined by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani. Anthony, great to have you back. You know, last week, obviously, you weren't able to be with me and Chris for the podcast. You were uh, at Ford Field, but judging from what I saw on Monday night, you, you probably were better served just for the sake of your own sanity, being on the pod and staying home. Yeah, what a dumbass decision that was on my part. Like, I... Why? Why would I do that? I'll tell you why. Because I enjoy football. Uh, I enjoy NFL football. Uh, I like to take any opportunity I can to go to a game without having, you know, being in a press box or having a computer in front of me so I can actually enjoy it as a spectator. But I, I seem to forget that I was going to a Lions game and that they are a terrible franchise and a terrible football team and, uh, yeah, I would have rather uh, I would have rather been on the podcast. I actually left that game like halfway through the third quarter, so it's like it's kind of a you know kind of a wasted night, anyways. Ah, that's all right though. It's good to have you back. How was your weekend, Chris? What's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot, dude. Just watched a lot of a lot of sports per usual. Um, baseball's obviously heating up. Uh, some September slash October races. Uh going down to the wire and obviously a lot of college football. I think uh, it, this is in an intriguing uh, week. Obviously, it was nice seeing Michigan get their first win last week and talking about that, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot uh, going on outside of Ann Arbor and in the Big Ten especially uh, that sets up for what's going to be, I think, a, a really, really interesting next nine to 10 weeks of, of big 10 football. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it right here. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. You know, what we learned from Michigan after their non-conference schedule just wrapped up uh, perceptions of the big 10 after a really, really bad weekend and what we expect to see going into conference. But first let's recap this SMU game a little bit. You know, it was a nice win at home for Michigan, 45 to 20 over a team that gave TCU problems uh, just a week prior, obviously, the offense, you know, after a rough start to the game, scored, what, on six consecutive possessions, touchdowns. Uh, the defense, you know, down the stretch, maybe some things there that you saw might have been cause for concern. But, it, but then again, you know, uh, it was kind of a boring game down the second half stretch. What did you guys see uh, from this game? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to me 
you sort of hit the nail on the head there. Um, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a different perspective being there, you know, watching it from the press box and, and things like that. But to me, it was, I was bored watching it for most of it, quite frankly. Um, even when the offense kind of, uh, when they did wake up, it's great to see that Donovan Peoples Jones looks like, um, looks like they've, they're starting to unlock what he has there. Uh, we've talked about it before coming out of high school. That was a guy who really just had to run straight and run around people. And now you're seeing him run good routes. You're seeing him develop chemistry with a quarterback. Um, Michigan's, you know, I know it's been a couple patsies last few weeks and, and old Miss will, you know, old Miss fans will say, Oh, well, Shea Patterson's the king of, you know, dicing up non-conference competition. Well, that that's all fine and good. We got to see some, some things in some big games here that they will play coming up. But, um, you know, this early in the season, this is the best quarterback play that Michigan has gotten to this point under Jim Harbaugh and maybe the best quarterback play they've got, you know, since, you know, we'll be fair here since Denard Robinson, uh, you know, even though those guys do some different things. So uh, encouraged by that. I mean, even when things aren't going well, uh, you know, Shea Patterson's delivering throws off his back foot to Zach, you know, Zach Gentry um, really making some, some high quality NFL caliber throws. Uh, so I, I'm impressed by that. Uh, the defense, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to that, you know, here in a little bit. Uh, I have not seen an elite defense on the field through, mm-hmm. you know, through three games this season. You can say the second half at in Notre Dame, that's fine. And, you know, I say that coming off a week where they beat Western 49 to three and, you know, really for the most part, you know, kind of suffocated SMU too. But, uh, you know, I haven't quite seen, I thought this had a chance to be Don Brown's best defense at Michigan, and it still could be. We've seen his you know, these units kind of peak a little uh, too early at times. So, I mean, I think their best football is still ahead of them, but um, I do think that on the back end of the defense, they have some problems there, namely at safety. Yeah, uh, I think that's the biggest concern defensively is this secondary, which it, I, I, I can't say they necessarily, with the exception of one player, uh, got torn torn up. I think that uh, their biggest issue was, uh, and this sounds silly, not playing within the rules of the game. I mean, how many pass interference calls were called against Michigan in that game? Yeah, they're uh, very grabby right now. Yeah, and uh, I, to me, and Luke, you you have brought this up on on a few different occasions where last year uh, the a lot of the writing was on the wall for Michigan early on in the season when you saw them struggling against teams like Cincinnati and and Air Force. To me, this SMU game was basically the exact same, what played out the exact same way as those games did, except this time Michigan has a good quarterback. And because of that, I think it was, uh, the the score was, probably more lopsided than it felt. I, honestly, yeah, I thought SMU was in that game for a majority of it. Once the interception happened on what was, you know, if not the last play, the second to last play of the uh, first half, that obviously turned the tide and made a big difference. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Anthony. I, 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 I There's something about this defense, and I think the secondary is, is a big part of it, but it just from really the first snap of the season, there's something about the defense that, that it's not bad. They're not playing terrible. They still have a ton of studs, especially in that front seven. But there's something about them that's just a little bit off. And, and I, it's it's hard, with the exception of the secondary, it's hard to necessarily pinpoint what that is. But they haven't played that dominant game that we know a Don Brown defense can play. We haven't seen them perform up to the standards like what they set uh, against Florida early on in last uh, early on last season, um, the the major encouraging thing though for this uh, team going back offensively now is Patterson, uh, not just his ability to scramble and make throws on the run, but just his accuracy and it has been staggering. Fourteen for eighteen on Saturday. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones having a big game. Um, I I think. I, I've said this multiple times that uh, I think every uh, college, you know, major college football program, and say what you will, Michigan still is a major college football program. Uh, 
if you want to have a, a championship-type season, at some point your quarterback is going to have to go out and win you a game. And for the first time in a really long time, I feel like Michigan has a quarterback that I believe can win them a game if something happens where the defense struggles or even if it's just a situation where they need a two-minute drive, I think Patterson can be the guy. Yeah, my thing when you take a look at the defense is that Don Brown's defense is completely predicated on blitzing and being able to cover one-on-one with every DB out there, whether that be a corner or whether that be the safety. And right now, I mean, you take a look at that one drive SMU had. I mean, they were pretty much running the all, you know, defensive pass interference offense because Josh Metellus is is just not good in coverage, one-on-one, save the pick six that he had right before halftime. And if this defense is going to be completely predicated on that, Metellus has to be much better in coverage, and I'm not sure he's the guy that's able to do that. I Honestly, I thought the coverage got better when he got ejected from the game against Notre Dame. So that's the one area that concerns me because David Long has been very good this year, you know, and, and that's absolutely what you expect. And I think Tyree Kittle's been pretty good as well, but Metellus in coverage, just one-on-one, has not been where Don Brown needs him to be for this defense to be what everyone expects it to be. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is, like Chris said, they, they do have some good pieces in that front seven, but I think another concern is, at times, you know, Rashawn Gary is always going to get pressure if he's not being held by, you know, three or four players, or Chase Winovich is always going to get pressure. They're not really getting that pressure up the middle that they were getting when Maurice Hurst was there. And um, I know part of that is, you know, guys like Aubrey Solomon and and Lawrence Marshall have been hurt. So you've had some other guys out there. Um, I actually thought Carlo Kemp is, is really starting to come into his own. So you, you have some guys there. I, I just don't think the push has been there um, maybe quite as frequently as you'd like to say, uh, as you'd like to see, because that's, yeah. you know, if you're asking your corners and, and your safeties to, to be in one-on-one coverage, that's fine. But, you know, when a quarterback has time to kind of, you know, slice and dice and, and your pass rush isn't quite getting home, um, you know, you're kind of putting those guys on an island. And, you know, they have talented players, but, you know, even if you, you put Darrell Rivas on an island in his prime for every single snap of the game, there's going to be some errors there because guys get tired. So I, th- I think that's maybe my biggest concern. I think they'll figure that out because, like I said, I mean, Michigan's problem has not been on defense these last, you know, three or four years under Jim Harbaugh. Now they they've had games where they've had uh, rougher outings than than you anticipate. Obviously at Notre Dame, you go down two scores early, and you know that that helped them dig a pretty big hole. I mean, maybe if you force a field goal on one of those tries, or you know your offense comes out a little more, you know, who knows? Who, who's to say that that game doesn't turn out differently? But um, I really don't think that the defense has, has caused this team a game uh, in the last few seasons. So I'm not really worried about that. Um, quarterback play again. I know it's against a couple of, of bad football teams, but you got a guy that right now can make all the throws and it's not, I don't think it's a hot take to say that talent wise, this is by far the the best quarterback that Jim Harbaugh's had starting at Michigan. Now, is he going to keep being efficient are we going to see him able to, you know, cut back on the turnovers? And, you know, I don't really mind the turnovers, by the way. And everyone wants, you know, freaks out, you know, the minute a guy throws an interception, they want to see the backup quarterback. But uh, in Shea Patterson's case, I actually wish they would would crank it up with him a little Thank bit. Thank you. Throw the ball down the field a little bit more. You know, if you, if you turn the ball over and you're trying to make a play, I can kind of live with that. I think that's kind of what happened with uh, the interception at Notre Dame. Shays was trying to make a play. It wasn't a terrible throw. It's, you know, sometimes you force it and it works and sometimes you do and it doesn't. Um, I think what you saw is when Michigan finally started to open things up a little bit, that's when they started to have success. So, I mean, I know that they want this to be a Bo Schimbeckler style of, you know, ground and pound, you know, four yards at a time, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts offense, but that doesn't work anymore. I mean, it's, you don't have the offensive line for it to work, first of all. Right. Um, and that still concerns me. I, I don't think that those guys had a great day by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it's one of those things where let your guy cut it loose. And, you know, if you trust if you trust your guy, which I, I think as we move forward here, 
we're going to see them, you know, take the training wheels off a little bit more. Um, you would expect that to be the case anyways. I, I really do think that you can see it in Harbaugh's face and, and hear it in his voice when he talks about Shea Patterson. This is a guy that he's really starting to trust. I don't think that's been the case since, you know, the latter half of that that first season uh, with, with uh, Jake Rudock at quarterback. So I'm interested in seeing where it goes from here. Now, do I think that they're going to come out and, oh, well, non-conference play, they're holding everything back, and now they're going to come out in the shotgun and you've got Baker Mayfield Jr. out there? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think that they will start to open things up a little bit more because, but, you know, through three games, that's been what's working. Yes. I mean, uh, you have you have everyone at the skill positions. Uh, if they ran an offense similar to what Oklahoma ran last year, I mean, this offense would be almost unstoppable with the guys they have on the outside, the great running backs, and, of course, Shea Patterson. I mean, the throw he had, I couldn't remember if it was to uh, Gentry or, or McCune when he got hit in the legs and, and just threw that dime down the seam. But it's like if you schematically run the offense, you brought up Baker Mayfield, they have all the pieces to be what Oklahoma was last year offensively. Well, they opinion. have they have all of the pieces except, except for, for an, offensive, an line. offensive line. Yeah, um, because you you're you're that's fine. You know, I, I agree with you. I mean, that's what I'd love to see. And I think that you have the type of quarterback to do that. The problem with that is that you have an offensive line, first of all, you know, I know you have tackles, but basically you have five guards playing up front for you. So you're not very athletic. So you're not even athletic to run the athletic enough to run to the off, run the offense that you are um, that's in place. Now, now we want to, we want those guys, you know, running out in space and, and doing all this stuff. And, you know, well, actually, actually, if you got five guards, I mean, that's what that's what guards do. You know, I actually think that it would take a lot of pressure off the offensive line to run those kind of quick hitting plays like Oklahoma does, you know? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'd like to see it. Um, I certainly am not a fan of the the square peg and the round hole type thing. Um, but I, I like I said, I think that you will see more elements of that as, as the season rolls on. I don't think they're going a full blown that by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah. I think that their identity is that they're still, they're still going to try and run the football. Um, you know, when, you know, if Chris Evans and Kron Higdon are healthy, which uh, seems like those guys are a little bit banged up heading into this weekend, it could be the true Wilson uh, or Maury Samuels show, uh, which I don't really have a problem with. Let's see what those guys have. But um, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't, I know the skill players are there, um, but do they have all of the pieces in place? Do they have the coaches in place to run that system effectively? Right. I don't know. I, I think the play calling is even still a little bit of concern with what they have. So, yeah. well, uh, if me, you go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Sorry. That just real quick. I, it, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm almost in complete agreement. I, I, they kind of, I won't say got in desperation mode by any means, but that, I, I think it, through the first quarter and a half of that game, they were they were extremely or Michigan. I'm talking about obviously it was extremely uh, disappointed and and maybe even a little bit surprised at how uh, poorly they were playing offensively. And finally, that's when they opened up the playbook and let Shea be Shea. He was m- rolling out of the pocket. He was making throws on the run, and that's when they really started to come alive. And I hope that that's something that maybe we can look back on as a potential turning point. Because in part of the reason, too, and this, as much as I like Karan Higdon, as much as I think he is by far the best back on this team, I, I think it could end up being almost a blessing in disguise, the fact that he was uh, out last week, because it meant that they did have to open up the offense. I, I, I think uh, I like Chris Evans. But I don't think Chris Evans is a number one back, and that probably is going to piss some people off. But I think he works best. Uh, well, he's a gadget player. Yes, that- exactly. And I think when when you have uh, Higdon as the setup guy, and, and you know the the whole classic you know one two punch at running back, thunder and lightning, whatever you know whatever you want to call it, I think Evans works much better in that role. I, I just I don't see I don't think he has. Uh, the v- good enough vision to be able to be a number one back. I saw a lot of dancing around on on uh, Chris Evans's part uh, at the line well, of scrimmage. That, part of that has to do with th- the offensive line, 
but also I think part of it was he, he missed a few holes. Yeah. Well, and I think you said too, you know, Higdon being out made them be a little bit more uh, diverse offensively. Well, at the beginning it didn't because Chris Evans had right. 10 rushes in the first quarter. So they were still, they still have it in their heads that he could be this battering ram. And I just don't see that. Um, you know, I, I think that they need to be, uh, you know, you, there's always all this talk of, oh, is Ambry Thomas going to, you know, are they going to give him any run on offense? And he's he's been kind of getting those Eddie McDoon jet sweep type plays, which I don't have a problem with. But every year it seems like there's a defensive guy. They want to get some more offensive snaps. And I'm like, why are you trying to work to get these defensive guys snaps when you have a dynamic playmaker on the offense that you don't use dynamically? It's, um, the, it feels forced. Like it, it almost feels like they're, they're doing it because they have to, or the fans demand it. Because really, I mean, it, it, the, the, as athletic as somebody like Thomas might be, a, a jet sweep isn't going to set the world on fire, especially if you know it's coming. Right. Yeah. Well, we saw that with Jabril when they would, yes. you know, it, it would get so predictable that oh, Jabril's coming in. Here comes a, you know, a run up the middle. Stupid or, fucking uh, wildcat. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like I said, I, I'd like to see them mix it up with him a little bit more. Honestly. um, I wouldn't mind seeing him in, you know, flexed out to the slot a little bit more with with Peoples Jones on the outside and um, with Collins on the outside. Now I know that Peoples Jones has been getting some work out of the slot too, and you know you got some other guys there, but I, I just want to see them use him a little bit more creatively. And um, I guess that you know he's hurt, so it's kind of a mute point now. Like I said, you might see True Wilson and uh, Omari Samuels and maybe even Christian Turner this weekend. Uh, all guys that. You know, I think that they're pretty high on. I, I I like what I've seen out of True Wilson, um, in the limited you know limited amount of time that he's been in there. So, um, I don't know. It's like I said. I, I think that now that the non conference is over, it's like the real season begins. Like you have no margin for error now if you want to go out and win the Big Ten. So it's one of those things where you've got whatever it is. Uh, trying to do the math in my head. Um, you know what is it? 180 minutes of football on tape now. You get to go in, you get to watch the film, you get to you know, see what's worked, what's haven't, and they'll, uh, I'm confident they'll adjust. I mean, despite everything that we've seen, I'm, I'm pretty, I think in retrospect, three weeks out from it, that Notre Dame loss is, is nowhere near as bad or, you know, it's it would have been a, a kind of a perception changer. But when you look at the grand scheme of things for this group and this team in this season, I don't think it's nearly as bad of a loss, um, as, as we may have thought it was early on. Cause you know, a lot of it was self-inflicted. It's not like they were completely hopeless in that game. And and I have faith that those, those things will get ironed out. Now I still don't really trust them in a big game. And we'll talk about the big right. 10 slate here in a minute, but um, you know, I think that these last couple of weeks against a couple of teams that you should have beat up on, um, they did that by and large. And, you know, on a weekend I sent this out from the main uh, Mason brew Twitter handle. I would rather be the team that didn't look that great and still won by double digits than be whatever the hell else happened to the rest of the Big Ten this weekend outside of Ohio State. Man, was it bad. One point that I do want to make, you know, talk about this offense, a quote that went out today by uh, Michael Owainu that we've only seen half the offense, according to him. So that's going to be interesting. But you might not need to show much more for a little bit the way this Big Ten slate went this past Saturday. I mean, what, two and five in the Big Ten West, including Wisconsin losing to BYU. Goddamn, Akron went into Northwestern and won for the first time since, what, 1894, the last time they beat a Big Ten team. It was it was a terrible-looking weekend for the Big Ten. Though, you take a look at the top three teams in the Big Ten East, Michigan won by 25, Ohio State got a big win against TCU, and Penn State beat the brakes off of Kent State. So there was some silver lining for the Big Ten, but that Wisconsin game, I mean, Michigan, was, I don't think I don't think they can afford to lose that one now. I don't want to look too far ahead, but I thought that could be one it, that they would be able to uh, uh, afford to be able to lose, but I don't think so anymore. No, this is a team now where if you if you have any shot at making the college football playoff, you'd better, A, hope that Ohio State wins out before your game and you win out and beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten title because I got news for you. Um, it ain't looking pretty right now. Um, and really, the point, the overarching thing that I've kind of learned, this is no disrespect to Michigan or, or really anyone, kind of feels like it's Ohio State and then 
pretty decently decent gap, then Penn State, and then maybe Michigan, and then everyone else right now. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that Penn State-Michigan game is, is going to be a pretty important swing game. Michigan-Michigan State. I mean, I know State had a bye week this this week, but you know when I watch the, those guys play, they're almost in a lot of ways the exact same team that Michigan has been. They've been leaky on the back end. Their offensive line is terrible. I think that Michigan. I think that I think that Shea Patterson's a better quarterback than Brian Lewerke, but um, you know that's a that's another that's another. Uh, you know, Devin Bush said last week he hates Michigan State more than he hates Ohio State, and I put out the article saying that. I mean, yeah, that's fine. That That's all fine and good because if you don't beat Michigan State, your game against Ohio State doesn't even matter. So it's one of those things where, you know, if if the Big Ten title is, is what you seek, which, like I've said the last few weeks, that should be the expectation. Um, you kind of have to win out and, and beat Ohio State. Uh, I, I think this Ohio State team is, is quite a bit better than Michigan is, and you're going to have to go to Columbus and beat them. But uh, – that's kind of where things are at right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it was it was such a bad week weekend for the Big Ten that even teams that didn't play had a bad week. Michigan State's loss against Arizona State looks worse because Arizona State just went out and got and got killed or not killed, but they lost to San Diego State at home. Deeming hmm. that that loss by MSU worse. Uh, we didn't even bring up, I don't believe, that the team Michigan plays this week, and that is a Nebraska program that for what the 20th year in a row finds itself in complete shambles it seems uh new coach and all they 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 look like a mess uh we talked about this uh uh, uh, before the show i believe uh that this this michigan schedule is undeniably difficult and the the tough games uh, the games that we looked at, the games we circled at the beginning of the year and even before that, uh, are still really tough. I don't, I, you know, I'm at a point with rivalry games, especially if Michigan State were to somehow lose every game until Michigan played them, I'd still call that a tough game. That the it, that stretch in general is a brutal stretch. But some of the potential trap games, I'm not nearly as worried about anymore. Nebraska, I thought, could maybe be one. Uh, I, I think, and we'll talk about this in a, in a bit, but I don't see that game being close. Northwestern, uh, who has had such a, a pretty amazing uh, several years in a row with what Pat Fitzgerald's done, looks like they're finally having uh, their down year. As you know, they're always scrappy, but uh, I, I. I have complete confidence Michigan will go into Evanston and stomp on them. Uh, it, it's just going to come down to that three that three game stretch with Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, and then of course Ohio State, who once again uh, just I mean just looks like a, uh, completely unstoppable. It's and that's why I, I tweeted this after uh, Urban Meyer got his his leave of absence. Uh, and people were freaking out uh, as if uh, it was, you know, the beginning of the end for the Ohio State program. And uh, the thing is, the players on that roster, they're so deep at so many positions that if uh, Ohio State or the NCAA were to man up and do the right thing and fire Urban Meyer, it would take two or three years before Ohio State really felt the effects of it, assuming they didn't go out and get a coach that was close to as good because that that is Urban Meyer's team. It's it's his players. They're so deep. They recruit really well. And I mean, I, I think TCU is a pretty darn good football team. I thought Ohio State just steamrolled them. Yeah, I, I mean TCU maybe gave a bit of a blueprint though on on some weaknesses for the Buckeyes because uh, TCU was up in the second half and they were you know taking it to them on the offensive end with some big plays, but then that defense just kind of took over for Ohio State and, and special teams, you know, and and that's to your point, Chris, is that they're so deep that they've got guys that could be starting, you know, on any offense in the country having to play special teams just to get on the field. Um, but just looking at the Big Ten as a whole outside of 
Ohio State. I, I don't know what is Wisconsin. They struggled with New Mexico. I where does the Big Ten rank right now amongst Power Five conferences? <sighs> Ant, you want to take that one? <laughs> I mean, um, are they, are they top three? I tend to. I I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, who we say the best is right now? I mean, maybe I still think the SEC outside of Alabama and Georgia is. Um, I mean, you've got some good teams down there. It's probably the SEC. I think the Big Twelve is is pretty good still. Um, I don't know. I still think the Big Ten's good, but it's like, guys. What happened this weekend? Right. Like, last not... two weekends, really. I mean, they have not played very good football over the last two weekends. Hell, even the first week, Michigan lost to Notre Dame. Penn State went to overtime with Ab State. Michigan State barely squeaked by Utah State. Uh, they haven't played – the Big Ten as a whole has not played good yet this year. Right. And it goes yeah. – yeah, it goes to show partially that just because your, your conference – has success during one bowl season doesn't fucking mean that they're that they're all of a sudden the new power in in, in college football. I, I get it means something. It's a good little feather in the cap. But the way that people were going nuts last season when Big Ten went seven and one in bowl games, uh, and then uh, came into this year, a lot of people thought that they were going to be arguably the best conference in the country. I didn't feel that way. I thought they'd be better than this. Uh, but, it, you know, it's still so early. I, I think the Wisconsin I, Wisconsin is the one that shocks me the most. That, that makes no sense because I think that team is every bit as talented as they were a year ago, if not better. And I think that they'll – I think that this is – they'll look back on that as a major – just a major upset and a major fluke. I don't see – uh, Wisconsin losing more than two or three games this year. I just think that they've had, uh, they just had a colossal screw up uh, that could potentially cost them the playoff. We haven't even hit on what the biggest embarrassment of the weekend was. Rutgers lost to Kansas fifty-five to fourteen. How do you get Kansas. beat by forty-one to Kansas? I mean, if you lost by a field goal or, or even a touchdown, or hell, I'll even give them ten points. I get that. You got shit pumped by Kansas. Like, that's one thing. It, like, it happened to see like CMU played a closer game against Kansas than Rutgers did. Like, Rutgers is such a goddamn embarrassment to the Big Ten. It, it hurts because they <laughs> nobody will, like the Big Ten's not reaping the benefits of them being around. You think anyone from – I know they got the big New York television market. You think anyone in the New York area is watching fucking Rutgers? Anything. Like, Rutgers anything. Who from New York is watching Rutgers anything? I don't know. I mean, it's just – it's bad. And then you got Purdue last week. Um, I think – I believe Purdue's 0-3, correct? 0-3. Just lost to Mizzou this week uh, after losing uh, to Eastern. Illinois lost at Soldier Field. Uh Holy shit, guys. I mean, we've named every team in the Big Ten. Is Minnesota, are they undefeated? 3-0, baby. P.J. Flex rolling the ball up there. You know what? You know what? I it, love that dude, too. I do, I do too. And I thought I was disappointed a little bit in how they performed last year, especially considering how poor that end of, of that side of the Big Ten is. I, I could see him getting them to Indy within the next three years. Here, here's the thing that Minnesota's three and zero with a true freshman walk-on quarterback starting. Right. Yeah, and they they've played some. I mean, they haven't played like any, you know, top twenty-five teams or anything. But they played a Fresno State team that's been. They're always you know they're always they're good. Yeah. You know, and it, it's I'm impressed by them. And the thing about that is, you know, people always the biggest misconception about Minnesota, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. First of all, I think PJ Flex terrific, and I think that. Um, you know, in the next few years, you probably will see them towards the top of the West and, and being a problem for everyone. Um, but the, one of the biggest misconceptions about Minnesota is you go there and it's a frozen tundra. Minneapolis is gorgeous. Like you take a recruit through there and yeah, it's gonna be cold as hell in the winter, but that's an awesome, uh, you know, that's an awesome campus. 
the downtown is is pretty awesome uh, as well. There's some good breweries and all that stuff around there. Like they they've got a coach and they've got facilities to to do some pretty some pretty special things there. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he does there. I think that when you look at a team that's kind of rising in the east or rising in the east, rising in the west, I should say, um, you know, if we're we're asking who's going to have their team in a Big Ten uh, title game faster between him and Scott Frost, I'm going with PJ Fleck. Yep. Has, has Iowa who's Iowa played? Have they lost anybody? No, they're three and zero, but they've got Wisconsin at Kinnick this Saturday night, man. That's going to tell us a lot about yeah. both of those teams. Because I'm looking at at Minnesota's schedule now. I don't know why I'm all of a sudden fascinated by them, but but first off, a, a little six degrees of separation here. They opened against New Mexico State, who did they struggled against, or they gave Wisconsin a run? Was it, or am I getting was that just New Mexico? New Mexico, it was. Okay, well then, they throw that out the window. But but they killed them, and then they beat Fresno State by a touchdown, and they beat up on Miami, Ohio. When you look at their schedule, right? So they go at Maryland next, which could be a win. Iowa at home, which could be a win. At Ohio State, loss. At Nebraska, toss up. At India, like they could. Here, without reading the home and away, here's the rest of their schedule, just real quick. Maryland. Iowa, Ohio State, Nebraska, Indiana, Illinois, Purdue, Northwestern, and then end with at Wisconsin. Yeah, there's, there's only like two guaranteed losses there. Ex- dude, at the most, I mean, Ohio State and Wisconsin, 99% probability of being a loss. Everything else, they could realistically, I mean, they'll be 5-0 and probably, or at least 4-0 uh, bef- before uh, they play Iowa and then go to Ohio State. So, uh yeah, maybe maybe watch out for them a bit. Maybe maybe even this year, just because I mean, look, sometimes uh, the most impressive teams are the most unimpressive ones, and while they haven't done anything amazing, they haven't screwed up the way that uh, some other Big Ten teams have. Yeah, sometimes out in the West, you just kind of have to survive it too. Yeah. Like Iowa a few years ago. I mean, I know they didn't win the Big Ten title, but you know, it's not like that was an amazing football team. They just no. kind of. This sounds so weird to say. It's not like they were an amazing football team, but they went out and won every game in the regular season. Yeah, but I mean, there's so much truth to that because they had basically about uh, two months to prepare for one game, and that was the Michigan State game. They knew it was either going to be them or Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. They prepared for that game with an injured Connor Cook for MSU. Uh, they, uh, They almost won, and then after that, they went to the Rose Bowl and got demolished because they just weren't that good but yeah there there is something to be said you know they won every game uh and i don't think minnesota will be in that uh predicament this year but i mean you go you play ohio state wisconsin it's probably going to be ugly but hey yeah but they're um, only up and up that's right so any other takeaways from the big 10 so far um i think penn state's a little bit better than we thought they would be um because really with all these questions that we've that people had about them coming into the year. You lose Saquon Barkley um, questions about how Trace McSorley would look, um, you know, without some of his better guys out there. Uh, I think that's a team you look at their schedule so far, obviously the Appalachian state game, you know, people will kind of make fun of them for that, but Appalachian state's a good team. And it's one of those weird week one games as well. But since then they beat uh, Pittsburgh 51 to six, they beat the breaks off of Kent state 63 to 10, um, you know, they've got what looks like another tune up this weekend against, against Illinois before they go to, or Ohio state comes to them for a night game uh, on the 29th. Um, I think that's a pretty good football team too. Um, I think that, uh, obviously you're going to find out, you're really going to find out what they are when they play Ohio state. They'll probably lose that game, but they have a stretch of, you know, they have Ohio state, um, at home. Then they have a bye week and they come back and play Michigan state at home. Um, you know, it could uh, – so we're going to learn a lot about them early on too. It, it kind of all works out where that same weekend you've got Michigan State and Penn State playing. You've got Michigan and Wisconsin playing. Um, you know, these Big Ten um, – the outside of Ohio State, everyone else is going to – and even including Ohio State because they still have to win the – you know, they have to beat Penn State. Everything's going to kind of sort it out here 
by the time maybe mid-October rolls around. So, um, and then obviously Michigan, Michigan State will be on October 20th. So this there's a lot on the line in this next month of football or so, and it's going to set a lot of teams up for what's to come uh, after that. I, I, I kind of like that. I know that, you know, from Michigan's point of view, you've got that stretch of where you play Wisconsin and Michigan State and Penn State in a span of three weeks or three games, I should say. Um, I kind of like that you get through that, go through the ringer, and then you're going to see where you're at, you know, in the couple weeks you have before you play Ohio State. I, I don't mind that. I know it's going to take a toll. I know the scheduling kind of stinks, but, you know, if you're going to be a good team at some point, you just got to go out and win those games, um, no matter how hard they are. And they're all going to be slugfest. But um, I kind of like how everything is is setting up to find out. You know, it, it, if I was a betting man, I'm going to say it probably isn't going to work out in Michigan's favor. But I like that I'm going to know a lot about that, you know, a couple weeks before well, they even play Ohio State. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about the Big Ten East, man, is is everyone's playing that same Big Ten East schedule. You know, Ohio State's got to play Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan. Michigan State's got to play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Same with, you know, Ohio State, Penn State. Everyone's playing, you know, those tough games. I know Michigan's got it, you know, however many in a row. But everyone's got to play it. And at some point, like you just said, Anthony, you got to go out there and win those games. The reason Ohio State's been so successful, they just go out there and win. You know, at, at some point, Michigan has to be that program. And as we head into Big Ten play, you know, what do you expect to see going into conference play here from Michigan? Well, I think that what you'll see is, I think it's going to be like uh, what they say in Trek with the onions and the onions having layers. layers. I think they're going to keep peeling those layers back a little bit more. Um, I hope that they keep doing that with Shea Patterson, the offense. I mean, it's at some point, I know that Harbaugh has a system he wants to run, and I know we kind of talked about this already, but at some point you need to adapt to what your personnel can do. Um, I think that you have a really good quarterback that can, can do some pretty special things improvisationally. Um, there's a couple of times they've, they've been running, um, you know, this little read option stuff and it's gone to the running back every time. And, and if you look up the left sideline, there's nothing but grass there. If, if Shea Patterson keeps that, I think at some point he keeps that football, um, but they're not showing that yet. So, um, I think you're going to see some things like that unlock itself. Uh, defense, I think the defense will, like I said, the next couple of weeks, you've got you've got Nebraska, you've got Northwestern, which, you know, it's a late afternoon kick in Chicago or in, uh, in Evanston, I should say. Um, and those can be weird games, especially if weather's a factor, because it's not really the, the greatest field to play on. Uh, I actually stopped, you know, I was in Chicago about a month ago now and, and happened to drive by the field and, just check it out because I'd never been there before. And it is, it's, it's almost like a, a high school field, honestly, yeah. um, with it's just like in the middle of a neighborhood. So um, that can be kind of a weird place to play. But, you know, I think with that game, the Nebraska game, and then you'll have Maryland after that. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of the same of what we've seen uh, these last, you know, these last few weeks in terms of you're probably going to see a few things that frustrate you. I don't know if they're really going to open the offense up quite yet, but, uh, they're going to experiment. They're going to take her with stuff, but also in mind that these games matter now. I mean, it's not that the Notre Dame game didn't matter, but in the grand scheme of things, you want to win the big 10 title. That game's really not going to hurt you. Um, heck, even in a scenario where you know, let's just say you lose to SMU realistically, if you want to win the big 10 title, that's not going to hurt you. Now, obviously that was never going to really happen, but um you have a, the, the margin of error isn't quite there like it's been in the last few weeks now. So um, I expect to see a little bit more of a sense of urgency. I, I think last week we saw a team that came out a little bit flat because quite frankly, uh, I don't know if they were looking, they weren't really looking forward to Nebraska, but it's one of those things where you just, you know, what's there to really get fired up for You're You're better than a team at every position. And um, there's really nothing on the line um, in terms of, conference standings or things like that. Pride's on the line, you know, a win is on the line, but other than that, it wasn't really a whole lot to play for. So I think there'll be a little bit more of a sense of urgency. I'd like to see um, them start get a little bit more pressure up front, uh, not necessarily needing to break guys um, as extra pressure or blitzes or things like that. But um, like I said, I think that really it's, it's more the offensive line. Can they get that figured out? I think at some point, I still think at some point you need to see Jalen Mayfield and James Hudson get some 
some more game action because I, I don't think those guys that they've had have, have been good enough, even against the, the two cupcakes that they play the last few weeks. So um, we'll see if they're able to do that. They don't have three cupcake games coming up by any means, but um, they, they do have a three games that I think that they should still win pretty comfortably. Yeah, I I, uh, I can't really add much more to that. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even want to ramble about it. I agree with you. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. No. Yeah, I just I just want to see, you know, the offense give us a little something, you know, more. Uh, you know, one thing that I didn't mention, I, I tweeted about this during the game, is that those, you know, third and shorts that Michigan found themselves in after, you know, running out of looks that had actual wide receivers that spreads the defense out and they kept trying to run that, you know, little goal line formation jumbo and, and they were getting nowhere because well, it doesn't really work in football that often anymore unless you've got Alabama's offensive line. And I, I just want to see them not be so stubborn when it comes to the offensive side of the football. I think the defense is going to improve vastly uh, a, as we move forward, you know, because, again, I, I think a lot of the guys were bored this past Saturday. I, I think we saw a really good defense against Western, saw a really good defense in that second half against Notre Dame. Um, you know, the mobile quarterback, when he came in for SMU this past Saturday, gave Michigan some fits, which uh, scares me a little bit moving forward, though not a ton of mobile quarterbacks other than McSorley and Lewerke on the roster. You know, Dwayne Haskins, he doesn't really run a whole lot for Ohio State. So, um, you know, keeping it moving. I, I think Michigan, as they enter conference play, I think we're going to see a more, you know, hype team, kind of what you alluded to, Anthony, is this team's going to be a little bit more focused as we head into Saturday. And, you know, Michigan, they they still have a lot of kind of, I don't know if it's the players as much, but Michigan fans, a little animosity towards Scott Frost, even, you know, from 1997, you know, when he came in with UCF a couple years ago in 2016, uh, there's a little animosity there still for Scott Frost. So I think everyone's going to be a little fired up for Saturday. I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I mean, remember, UCF came to the big house a couple of years ago and, and out-hit Michigan, even though they lost 38-0. to zero. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, um, and and I think Michigan will be ready to beat the beat the hell out of them. Uh, I know they're going to go back and even watch not just the film they've seen on Nebraska so far, but they'll watch they're they're going to watch film from that last time that they played uh, when Scott Frost was the coach. They're going to watch film from last year when Nebraska, um, I'm sorry, UCF uh, was the coach uh, when he was the coach there. Um, so you'll see that uh, they'll be ready to go. I think that uh, you're going to see a little bit more of an edge for them uh, this weekend and and going forward here. So. Um, I could see the Northwestern game being something that gives them an underrated amount of trouble and probably something that will piss fans off because of how close it ends up being. But overall, I mean, I think at every, at every position in these next three weeks, you, you've got better players and um, quite frankly, better coaches. I, I don't know if I can say that when you play against Wisconsin or Michigan State or Penn State right now, uh, but I know that in these next three weeks, uh, we should be talking about Michigan being 5-1. and one. Um, and people will say, oh, well, you can't afford to look ahead. You guys can't look ahead one game at a time. I don't, we don't have to do that that's, shit. That's what we're, we sports sit here, are. That's a, we, sit, that's, we sit here, we yeah. talk, and we speculate. Uh, we just said that Minnesota could go undefeated for God's sake. So it's well, like, let's go. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's content. Like, we're going to talk about it. Um, Th- that's kind of these the guys, pro- these guys don't live. If, if they listen to this show and go, you know what? Those three, those three jerk offs from Maze and Brew really have a lot of faith in us. We can probably take it easy these next few weeks. Well, then you have a bigger problem on your hands. I don't. For one, I don't think it's that. It's not that much faith saying I think Michigan's going to be five and one when their next two or three games are against garbage opponents. Right. And and two, you know how fans are, though. I know, but that that's also the. And I blame. I'm going to call this guy out now. I kind of blame. You know the Twitter account, the freezing cold takes? Yeah. I think to an extent, they've kind of ruined predicting anything. Because, like, the the original purpose of that, and I know I'm getting way off topic here, but I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, and so <laughs> fuck it. Uh, it but, it, like, sk- the original purpose of that account was, like, like Skip Bayless, like, I, I feel like just him alone was the purpose of that account. 
Like, just him saying ridiculous shit from years ago, like, shit that he probably doesn't even believe, but just says out of impulse, like, Johnny Manziel's gonna be bigger in Cleveland than LeBron is. Like, that is smoldering, stupidity hot take that deserves to be archived so that when the inevitable happens and he sucks and throws his girlfriend in a trunk and threatens to kill two people and LeBron comes back to Cleveland and wins a championship, that's something you could dig back up and be like, all right, that was a stupid take. But nowadays it's like if you say, like tonight, I predicted, I said, I think Kristen Stewart's going to hit his first career home run for the Tigers. And like those are the type of takes now that like get get tweeted about like there's some big grandiose uh, uh, hot take like you can't even predict anything anymore whether it be on a website like this or or on a major market like you know, like uh, well you know what fuck that SB Nation is a major market and thank you for employing me but uh, <laughs> no no I'm really getting we'll cut that we'll cut that part <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but uh, well you get what I mean so if yeah, the were I mean, I thought Michigan was going to destroy Notre Dame this year. I did. I was wrong. Uh it I would the one of the most I can't imagine listening to a sports podcast or any show uh at all that doesn't have predictions. It's just boring. I know. So, I it, I, yeah. I feel the same way, Chris, man. Like like yeah, I get we it. May be, we may be boring, but at least we have predictions. Yeah, and I'm never going to shy away from predicting or giving an opinion. I'm wrong a lot on predictions because I'm well, shocker here, guys. I can't see into the future. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I make an educated guess. That's that's what anyone does, and I agree. It, it's like if someone, you know, the, the analysts are making picks, you know, before games on these uh, Sunday pre-NFL shows, you know, pre-game shows or whatever, and it's like freezing cold takes, you know, retweets them, like wrong picks for a game made like i i agree i love the stuff that really is outlandish and people get called out on because it was stupid from the beginning but uh, i mean predictions i'm gonna keep making them you know and i'm definitely not gonna be deterred and i'm gonna be wrong i'm gonna be wrong a lot i think the worst take i've ever had was that i thought coming into that 2014 michigan basketball season i said Zach Irvin should be starting and Nick Stauskas should be the sixth man coming off the bench. Well, Nick Stauskas was like the best player in the big yeah. team. So he was. Yeah. <laughs> I whiffed on that big team. Those are fun though. That- like it, it's fun to look back at that sometimes. I, I, I believe it or not like being proven wrong. Like I, I actually enjoy to a certain extent, like being, being surprised and, and not and watching something and being like, oh, wow, that didn't go the way I expected or that guy's way better than I expected. Like some, some of my favorite athletes all time at Michigan were guys who had really bad first seasons and then like came back with – like Xavier Simpson became like my favorite – one of my favorite players from Michigan last year because he spent his first season barely able to dribble a basketball and the next year he's a starting point guard – like le- one of the leaders on a team that made it to the national championship game. I love guys like that. So yeah, it's, we're not gonna, we're not going to quit, and I don't think anybody uh, said that we are going to stop predicting. Uh, the- no, that was really that was just brought up from me being a, a, yeah. a jerk, honestly. Yeah, there, there's just something about that that new kind of culture that I I don't like. That we're, yeah, if yeah. you dig up any sort of if you take up any tweet from anyone ever. I'm, I'm sure fucking Nostradamus said a bunch of bullshit, but he, he but he was also very uh, highly renowned. And yes, I'm we're, I'm comparing this show to Nostradamus. Hell well, yeah. like, and, and I hate I hate the culture that it's created that everyone's trying to dig up tweets uh, and find old shit. I just had you know I think it was like last year or something. Someone tried to dig up some of my tweets when I because I'm a Cowboys fan and I wanted the Cowboys during that draft to take Jalen Ramsey instead of Ezekiel Elliott and people tried to dig it up and I was like I don't know guys uh, Jalen Ramsey is pretty fucking good like yeah. the Cowboys could use him like uh, I'm not you know. I sent out a tweet four years ago that I said, I don't, and this was when the 49ers were like making runs to the fucking NFC championship game. And I tweeted, there's no way Harbaugh is ever going to come to Michigan because yeah, at the time he was like fucking had, was making a billion dollars. Super Bowl. One of the greatest defenses ever. And that tweet got dug up two years later and people who root for the same fucking team that I do were like, look at this asshole. Like, okay, first of all, look, you can hate me, 
he's he's he I was he ended up coming to Michigan. Like there's really no point in being like like in being like, hey, yeah, blame this guy. You should be thanking yeah. me. <laughs> I, I'm cool with doing that for the guys that were like in the that were smug about it. Like, why would he ever leave the NFL to go to a college program? Yeah. Even or after anybody, he left the anybody, 49ers, like I'm cool with doing it to those guys because those or guys any are guy with sources. Any guy who says, I, you know, I had a source that told me right. that Harbaugh will never come, you know, come to Michigan or shit like that. When most of them are just people, that's the internet people just make things up all the time yeah i so, love it i love that, that this turned into just a roasting of, of freezing cold takes even though i love the account sometimes i yeah, definitely no, hate I the cold follow it. yeah it, and it's like I, I appreciate what they do i just think that it, it, the culture of it to a certain extent and it's not even necessarily them as much as people not understanding it's the people it's the other people that that it's it's kind of created a monster yeah let me say this and we can get out of here on on this take of, on this topic i think there's nothing that pisses people off more than when you own a bad take because they want you right. to get defensive right over it and they will i'll be like yeah this is a bad take i did a bad job and then like that's the that's it's it like that's 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 the end of it conversation over uh i did it i disarmed you uh what are you gonna you know make fun of me because i'm fat or because i my beard looks stupid now like find something else but yeah. you're never gonna be able to get me because uh because I had a bad take. Yeah, the, look, there's plenty. If you if you want to give me shit about something, there's plenty. I, I'm like uh, Donald Trump said about uh, uh, Rand Paul. Like, like, there's there's plenty of material there for you. But yeah, if I if I'm wrong about shit, I'm gonna yeah, gonna own up to it. Yeah, that that's why you're talking. We're talking to someone right now who like does half of the Tiger post game videos like with your man boobs out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you are clearly not like worried about what people think, and and you do you do a great job with that. I'm just poking. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Thank you. I was uh, hurt for a second. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know where else we really go. No, I, I think I think this is a good spot to to go ahead and end it. So uh, Chris Castellani, tell them where you can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter. That's at Castellani2014. That's at C A S T E L L A N I. We got and oh shit, I forgot how to spell. And then two o one four. Uh, the numbers two oh one and four. Uh, get Tigers game or Tigers post game videos. Uh, only got about twelve of those left. Uh, tweet a lot about movies. I just tweeted what is the first uh promo for the Joaquin Phoenix standalone Joker film, and I'll tell you what, it is the worst promo shot I've ever seen. He's for not a film. even in makeup. The he looks like he's 70. He's wearing what looks to be either hair plugs or a terrible hair piece. Uh, he still has that, that cleft palate that, that wouldn't, that only bothers me when he's, when he's shaven. And I think will look really weird as the Joker, but that's beside the point. You can follow me there. If you want to expose all of my, uh, freezing cold takes, feel free to, I love it. Uh, and, uh, Hope to see you guys on my timeline pretty soon. Anthony Broom, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at Anthony T. Broom. Uh, I don't have any hot takes about movies at the, at the moment. I haven't seen a movie in a while. A um, lot, uh, lot of NFL kicker takes, though, so you can follow me at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the Minnesota Vikings stuff that I do over at 24-7 Sports, and follow uh, follow that Maze and Bruce site, too. should probably give that a plug, yeah. seeing as that's where the show's posted. So, um, we'll be there Saturday. Um, excited for another, can't believe it's week four already. It's like 33% of the season's gone. Like already. Don't like it about it, but, uh, that's where, that's where I'm at. You can follow me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L U K E G H I A R D I. Also want to let you know, follow the show page at Brewcast Show. Make sure you do that. We're giving you updates on the show. Be tweeting through games and whatnot. And like Anthony said, make sure you follow the Maze and Brew Twitter account as well. So for Chris Castellani, for Anthony Broom, I'm Luke Giardi, and we'll see you next week on Brewcast. Brewcast.